Hello and welcome to episode 1977 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. I'm your host Matthew Neugebauer coming to you on this May the 7th, 2021. It's the Friday after the 5th Sunday of Easter if you're counting. It's also the Friday in the octave quote-unquote of May the 4th. So a belated May the 4th be with you. Uh, glad to continue on this journey of podcasting. I did want to it's not episode 1977 it's episode 77 uh, i just was thinking of doing something special about a new hope in the year 1977 but uh nothing terribly creative came to mind so i'm gonna comment on the bad batch i continue commenting on clone force gretzky of course as you can see in the title it is a bit of a pun on uh some continuity questions and canon continuity questions that arose in the very first minutes of that show. So without further ado for the pull list, I'm going to uh, kick it back to 2015, a, a comic book called Canaan the Last Bat. No, I'm just kidding. The pull list uh, I want to mention is the uh, the adaptation of Dune House Atreides. And um, I don't think I've mentioned that. I've been reading, reading it. It's the adaptation, I believe, of the Brian Herbert novel by Kevin J. Anderson. Uh, adap- adapted for comics by Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson, using, I believe, the production design for the upcoming scheduled Dune film that was supposed to come out in the past year or so. Of course, the circumstances got that all delayed. It's an interesting comic. The style does seem a little retro in terms of the thought boxes and the narration boxes, and uh, even the 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 uh, the the text bubbles, the speech bubbles, but otherwise, yeah, it's, it's starting to be a gripping story. Of course, I mean, it's part of Dune lore and, and the backstory of, well, he's part of the, part of the backstory of, uh, the, the novel that changed everything for sci-fi even changed star Wars. So I do recommend you checking it out. Uh, it's, it's a well-drawn, well-written. Um, I mean, the production design for the film itself looks, fantastic looks a lot better frankly than a lot of the designs in previous iterations of dune so looking forward to when that film can finally come out i'm glad to take the time to read this comic adaptation of the novel probably will end up reading the novel one day i don't know but i uh, for now enjoying the comic book so uh, i'm glad to get that out of the way um i do want to dive in here to this thing that's come up right in the first few minutes of the Bad Batch, there will be spoilers for for both Bad Batch episodes one and two because I do want to comment on just give my overall review and thoughts on the episodes themselves. But to flag that what I am diving into is uh, the, the 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 dust that got kicked up. I gather in, in throughout the fandom in this the prelude to the first episode which shows a tv version of caleb doom caleb doom <laughs> his experience of order 66 and there are things that are similar and things that are very different from the comic and i want to address my thoughts i've had them and thoughts and feels about what that the implications of, of making that big of a canon change going forward I do want to say the the first episode uh, aftermath was was pretty solid. I, I enjoyed it, including the prelude. I enjoyed that. 
that little bit. Um, the episode as a whole was a great setup to everything that they're going to be doing in the show, as you want in, uh, in in a first episode. Of course, we got the backdoor pilot in season seven of Clone Wars, but this is telling us what this show is all about. I did find the episode lagged a little bit in terms of its pacing. It probably didn't necessarily need to be 70 whole minutes. But, uh, you know, it, they, they packed a lot in there. It probably was conceptually like a double episode, like we see Saw with Rebels uh, a few times. And yet it's certainly following the pattern and concerns of the animation style. The animation style of the Clone Wars, which is easily the greatest animation I've ever seen in my life. And I think a lot of people can attest to that. Um, the second episode this morning, I thought it was actually a lot tighter. And it was shorter, so that helps. But um, glad to go back and again. Here's a spoiler: go back and visit uh, Cut Laquane and his family on Solukamai. And so I'm glad I actually ended up watching uh, the the episode of season two of the Clone Wars that introduced him. Watched that last night, knowing this was coming. What is interesting is uh, with this story. I could I was fairly predictable what would happen in this first episode. The Bad Batch as a whole would be on the run from the Empire. We do meet up with Saw Gerrera in the first episode. Rex gets name dropped in the second episode and we will run into Rex. And, uh, you know, and, and most of the Bad Batch Hunter, especially thinking for himself and, and completely refusing to follow Order 66, which we saw, which I predicted last week, but it's still a compelling to see it. It's interesting, just the little designs, how quickly the Republic has turned into the Empire. They even dropped the have the, the the Imperial cog on a structure on a watchtower, just immediately moving to uh, take over the galaxy and, and entrenching the the bureaucratic control that the Empire. Will, will come to be known for infamously <laughs> and then you know, the more Tarkin tight tightens his fingers uh, the more tightens his grip the more star systems slip through his fingers so exciting show off to a great start I mean it, it's not really a start it's it is in a lot of ways Clone Wars season eight I'm very excited for it and uh, especially especially Omega <laughs> you know she is definitely uh, clearly the, the new Ezra and the new Ahsoka but going to be her own twist on it, being a female clone, who I do think is Force-sensitive. I know she has to have some sort of uh, foresight and, and even some empathy, telepathy thing going on. Yes, she could just be very smart and perceptive. That's probably partly true. But I think there's something going on with the reason the Communuans, the, even today cut to, today's episode cut tells, Hunter, I believe, but those Kaminoans, they clone for a reason. Very intrigued, you know, the, the ties to certain Darth Sidious wanting to clone Force-sensitive folks in order to continue his immortality. That is maybe a little too close to Mandalorian, but, you know, at first you don't succeed, try, try again, right, Sheev? <laughs> so, um the way they tell this story. And that's the thing is it can be close. It can be tied in. If they give enough breath 
and life to Omega as a character in her own right. And to the Bad Batch as a whole in their own right. Then I'll be along for the ride. It, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, I love especially, I mean, she they, they really nailed, just want to add, they really nailed the awkward wanting to be accepted teenager tagging along. Even the way she waves and the way she says, no, I'll stay. <laughs> and uh, gets into trouble and is a load that Hunter and the rest and us who are maybe older watching this show are, would do well to welcome into our lives. Right? Jesus saying, uh, unless you welcome uh, these children, you see Pardon the train in the background. My window's open. Summer, summer's coming. Unless you welcome or you enter a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, like a child, um, you won't be able to enter. The, I'm, I'm not. I'm butchering the, the line, but yeah, uh, we do well to attend to the childlikeness within us, and that is what Ezra and Ahsoka and Omega now have already. Omega after after two episodes is already brought up there's even uh you know the blonde hair and being separated from her family and everything she knows that you know and going being thrust into these scary circumstances there's uh there's some ties to little kid annie there um in episode one the you know even the way she she grips the the pendant the kimono pendant uh in remembering Lamasu or Nase, I forget which one. Um, yeah, the, that definitely makes me think of Anakin's own struggle. So yeah, it, it's, there's references, but this is a new composite, a new character that we yeah, would do well to attend to and not give the Ahsoka season one, season two treatment to. So, that's, those are my thoughts overall on Bad Batch so far. I, I, again, I'm in for the ride. But there's uh, this one little moment at the beginning <laughs> that I have lots of thoughts and feels about. And and that is, again, the, the, the Jedi that sparks this. So, so Hunter has to save a Padawan or has to let a Padawan go as his initial act of refusing to follow order 66. And what that does in the first episode is it says, first of all, the bad batch had gotten to know this Padawan kid and, uh, then is willing to and able to refuse order 66 without hesitation saying, no, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Um, whatever risk to their own lives right and 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 let's let them go free and that of course sets up that this group is going to welcome omega into their lives and is going to continue to defy orders and defy the empire and go back to camino and save her and bring her into their lives so that works narratively again I didn't mind that fact. The problem is that it's Caleb Dune and Depa Balaba. And of course, again, like I mentioned at the top, we have 
Kanan's story, Caleb's story of Order 66 in a comic book. And it is different than uh, what we saw on screen. And so that brings up the whole question. Okay, we have this canon and everything's supposed to count. And yet we have a comic book story and then we have a TV story where a lot of the details are very different. What gives? And I see two opposing responses to this problem. And I'm calling it a problem. The two opposing responses to this situation, let's put it that way, because it is a situation, right? It's something to, to bring up and talk about. On the one hand, we hear folks saying, don't worry about it. I mean, Dave Filoni, we trust, which I do. Uh, art just evolves and stories evolve over time in the pipeline. There are more eyeballs on Bad Batch than there will ever be in a comic on a comic book, and and the current storytellers, especially in the higher profile media, need to be free to tell whatever story they feel like they need to tell. Then there, uh, there there's another camp of folks who say, "But no, I need every single detail to line up exactly, or else." Why are we buying these can these books and these stories? Um, getting very angry and, and frustrated about it, right? Uh, I call that second option. I call that fundamentalism, and that is quite to the point what biblical fundamentalism is, right? Is everything has to line up, and it all had to have been historically true, or else none of it is true, and my entire experience of God and of the world must fall apart completely. It's just this all or nothing. And I find some folks, uh, and, and I think in this case, we see a lot of folks with uh, that first option of saying art evolves and can move and can change, reacting and saying, reacting strictly to that second camp and saying, Okay, got it. Got to lighten up, folks. Loosen up. And uh, and, and you know, most of the time, I, I'm with that first camp. I'm right in there. You know, we the the details about Ahsoka. I mean, these are the classic examples, right? Ahsoka's lightsabers and what happens in the Siege of Mandalore, going from Southern Ontario's E.K. Johnston's novel to the uh, the act what we see on screen in the Siege of Mandalore. These are examples that my buddy Dominic brought up in Star Wars Underworld last week. So go give that a listen because very prescient uh, uh, conversation that week that I haven't listened to their take this week, but I gather they might have gone into some of that, some of this again. I don't know. Um, so we have the example of Ahsoka in those details. Yeah, C.J. Mandalore. The other example he brought up is Cobb Vanth and how in the aftermath interludes. So Ahsoka is an interlude. Um, in, in the novel, the version is an interlude. In Cobb Vanth, it's an in, they're the three interludes that tell his story during the year after uh, the Battle of Endor. And of course, we see him on screen five years after. And there are things that line up and things that don't. And credit to Dom for pointing out that the Cobb Vanth has a very different attitude to the Tuscans 
in from going from the novel to the show. In the novel, he's a lot more uh, belligerent against them and hostile to them against them, I believe. I, I no, it's, I think it's the other way around. He he's more amicable, and uh, later in in the show, he's he's more hostile. And we see in the show, we see the story of him and the humans in Mos Pelgo learning to trust the Tuscans. Yeah. Anyway, the the thing there, and, he, and here's my, my bottom line take, is with the Caleb Kanan comic TV show, Bad Batch thing, changing the canon in this case, it doesn't work for me as a story choice. I want to say that again. It's not that I need things to line up exactly. With Ahsoka and Cobb Vanth, fine. I get it. I mean, I'm there. Caleb and, you know, with Caleb, it doesn't work as a story choice. It isn't that I need to line up. It's it, There are reasons in terms of Kanan's character over time, in terms of how that comic serves rebels that won't serve rebels and i'll get into this versus how the the import of this prelude on uh, the bad batch and the story of hunter and, and then i don't see that basically a bottom line is i don't see changing the canon as having been justified as a story choice so here's what i mean and i'll unpack that so the, what we see with Ahsoka and what we see with Cobb Vanth is what, that we go from interludes in a novel, like parentheses that are not really even part of a main, anyone's main story, being changed for the sake of a more detailed story. Right, we have pared down sketches of, a, of an impressions. And in, with the case of Cobb Vanth, a very short, less detailed story be made to serve a richer, more detailed story. Um, in terms of Cobb Vance, we don't get things, things aren't really contradicted much at all. In terms of Ahsoka, things are easily fudged and adapted. You know, with Cobb Vance, it is made to serve Din Djarin's story. But again, it, it the changes aren't really dramatic enough to alter uh, the story. For Ahsoka, the changes are to serve Ahsoka's story, right? So the change in what happens in E.K. Johnson's novel, it, that's changed to better serve the Siege of Mandalore arc, which is all about Ahsoka and her journey. And provides the impetus for the journey that she goes on in that novel, the thing we see. And this is, I mean, this, that story was George Lucas and Dave Filoni, uh, the story they wanted to tell for years. And so um, that was well established. There is a principle in pastoral care and in, just in I think in relationships generally, in, in walking alongside people, is that their story is pri primarily exists for their own story. 
it can secondarily exist. It secondarily exists for everyone else's story. I mean, the the overarching for Christians is because all of our stories exist within God's story and for God's story, but he gives us our lives back to us. And the way we're all equal is that our voices need to be, well, not need to be amplified, but have a dignity. Our experiences have a dignity as the thing that shapes us primarily and then secondarily as they influence and shape others. And and maybe primary and secondary isn't necessarily the best way of saying it, but this is why, for example, we need to amplify, here's the term, amplify queer voices and black voices and indigenous voices because so often their stories have been made to serve and primarily told to serve other people's stories, other people's experiences. Oh, I learned so much from engaging someone else. Well, what about what they grew, how they grew and how they learned? So I wonder if, and and this doesn't quite work with, in terms of uh, representation and color, Kanan Caleb is a white dude, but I wonder if one of the things we're feeling right now, at least I'm feeling, is that the change in Caleb's story was we went from a comic that was rich and was about Caleb, you know, a 12 issue comic that then ties into, say, his exact, his, the way he's cool with Rex and Wolf and Gregor in season two of Rebels, that we do get fleshed out more his experiences in, in throughout Rebels. That gets now co-opted to serve Hunter and Gregor, our Hunter and the Bad Batch's story. Right to serve Omega's story, and uh, the, you know that it it really weakens Caleb's own experience. It presents it. I mean, the the actual inter the actual prelude. It's only a few minutes, and it's very quick, direct action. Right, he, the reinforcements come, and they go off and make the counterattack. Then boom, Order sixty six happens. Right. In the comic, it's the reverse of what we saw with Ahsoka and Cobb Van. A little bit. Not so much Cobb but especially with Ahsoka. It's the reverse. It's, uh, in the comic, we have three major details that you could sort of fudge with the TV version. But really, I, I would say... Um, yeah, at the very least, if you want to say that this is a more efficient, quicker, cleaner story in the TV version, I mean, I think we have to admit that the, the comic version is more fleshed out and I think works better. So in the comic, we have three things that, that are different. So first of all, um, the battle of color is, is over. They are... They have one separatists have been driven off, and now it's a situation of of relative peace, um, regrouping, waiting for the next mission, next assignment. The second thing is, in that moment of peace, they're taking a breather at night by the campfire, and we see 
see the clones. They're joking with the kid. They're showing the camaraderie and care that clones had for Padawans during the Clone Wars as part of their part of their programming, as part of their loyalty to the Jedi. And there's another part of that campfire conversation is are the clones saying to Depa, no, with the leadership of the Jedi, we we wouldn't have been able to win this war, succeed in this war. We owe everything to the leadership of the Jedi. We are so loyal to them. Similar to with Ahsoka, right? Anakin tells Ahsoka, loyalty means everything to these clones. You see the camaraderie in a much similar way to Cal Kestis, right? Right. You know, going through the 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 cruiser and he's high fiving the clone and all that. We see uh, these clones ribbing Caleb and just being very playful and and wonderful. And then Order sixty six is called, and we see the contrast. It's a break. It's a traumatic break, and. The calm is shattered by the clones starting to fire on both Depa and Caleb. And Caleb stands up and actually has to fight against the clones, against his friends, against the, these folks he really, we get to see him trusting. And clearly that feeds very well and nicely in terms of story into what we see in season two of Rebels when he encounters Rex and, and Wolf and Gregor and he does not trust them. And Ahsoka has to tell him to trust them. And uh, he's still working through that, you know, for, and he gets there eventually, but it takes time and it takes maturity, but we see, okay, he is, it, it's fleshed out. His trauma is fleshed out. Now, some of that you could uh, say there are ways of, 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 of repairing this canon change. You could say, yeah, we get a little bit of that. Um, there are things that just aren't necessarily denied either way. They, you could imagine that they did still have that camaraderie, um, had those campfire moments. You know, very clearly they did. Another way I thought initially to salvage this was in the comic, you do have the framing reference of, or the framing device of, this is Kanan 15 years later on the ghost, about to go back to Collar and do a mission with the ghost crew, and you know, Sabine and Hera and Ezra and Zebra there. And so, yeah, this may be him remembering this event. And yes, we know when trauma the way we, we cope with trauma is by reframing and the way we heal from trauma is by reframing our memory of events. But you know, you can see, you can maybe make an argument that uh, given is remembering a traumatic event 15 years before it, the sequence of events might be different. The time of day might be different. Um, you know, the, the different things could be different. Here's really where it comes down to it for me with this, this canon change is why did they have us go through those sorts of uh, gymnastics, mental gymnastics? Why did they bother to risk 
doing something that would upset the fandom if it doesn't seem to really serve anyone's story. The change itself, right? Like I said, you know, Hunter, I get the story does press. It makes sense that Hunter would, we'd see Hunter at the very beginning saving or letting a Padawan go free in his refusal to follow Order 66. I do not mind that for a second. But why did it have to be Caleb? Why did it have to be Depa? So I did think about that. <laughs> and I thought, okay, so maybe maybe they thought some folks would say, or some folks need maybe who loved Rebels but hadn't watched Clone Wars or aren't necessarily too invested, giving them a reason to go back and start watching Bad Batch and give that a chance. Right. Oh, great. We can find out Kanan's backstory here. Here's my concern with that, though, is of those folks who need a reason to watch The Bad Batch, how many of them, uh, you know, of the folks who need a reason to watch The Bad Batch who liked Rebels, how many of them uh, are, are, are cognizant or aware enough to even recognize that that is Caleb, that is Kanan? How many of them are aware and cognizant enough, are, are as invested in canon and fandom for that to really be an impetus, that to really matter? And if you're in that boat, I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. That, that's how you are and where you're at. I'm just saying I don't see that as, as, as being value added enough to make that change. Right. And then for those of us who don't need a reason <laughs> to watch the bad batch, we're just, we were always going to watch it anyways, because we're invested in Canon and love clone wars. How many of us have also read the comic and enjoyed the comic and were invested in it in 2015 when it came out or picked it up later in trade and, you know, have been following the story throughout and, you know, internalize it as that's the story. That's the backstory for Kanan that we see of the character we see in Rebels. And so, you know, I, I just, it seems to me, and here's the thing is, the biggest thing for me, it's just a bit of a head scratcher. I just don't understand why they thought it would actually add anything versus, you know, taking the risk, while taking the risk, of not versus, but while taking the risk of doing something that would you know, weaken the relationship with fandom, right? Um, it goes back to this age-old question. I think it's part of this age-old question of how do you balance appeasing and appealing, not appeasing, but appealing, having a good relationship with the core fandom while also heightened exposure throughout. And I think a lot of folks have a, Bit of, bit of angst and, and frustration that often they make decisions and they, frankly, I don't think it's Dave Filoni. I don't think it's, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, the main writer for Bad Batch she also wrote Resistance, which is a great show. You really should watch it. And I don't think, I don't even think this was her 
making this choice. I frankly think, uh, I, I don't want to go too far in this. It seems to me like it's the type of decision made by upper execs who are all, oh, hey, this is cool. People like rebels. Why don't we just throw Kane and Caleb in there? Let's, let's name drop him. Right. It, you know, it, it's that sort of thing that really reminds me of the way that Rise of Skywalker treated The Last Jedi and the way Rise of Skywalker treated, had its sense of what fans want in Star Wars. And so, I mean, you know, the, it, 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 it's so we had Ray Nobody. And then we're given all oh, fans don't like that. They want Ray Palpatine name drop Palpatine. You have uh, Rose who uh, you know, is really influential in the rebel in, in the resistance. So all oh, people hated Rose. Just give her, give her less than a minute of screen time. Maybe a closer example to me is, uh, and this is again, just something I bring up is, how how snap has to die and then wedge flies in right if you've read the aftermath trilogy if you've read <laughs> aftermath trilogy and and snap is of course a main character in the aftermath trilogy that is in large part his story not exclusively but yeah, to, to a good chunk if you've read resistance reborn you know at least in the novels <laughs> in this wider canon that Wedge is Snap's adopted father, and and they they are family. So it it really jars me and takes me to that moment. Not the least of which because I don't think Snap had to die at all for Poe to be uh, to to feel so hopeless, hopeless and forlorn. And in that moment, I I think it was a cheap death, made all the cheaper by Wedge coming in and saying, "Woohoo, we're going to save the day," being all happy. It, it, it's the kind of thing that could have been fixed in editing. And here's the thing. I know I'm bringing up Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. Um, you know, Ryan Johnson, he had a perfect reason, and I use the term perfect, to take steps, story steps, and make story choices that would upset a good chunk of fandom, that they knew would upset a core, a, a group of fandom. Right. And I and I believe it was executed perfectly. Right, Luke is a grumpy old hermit on Octo because that's where his story has been leading. Right, and that's the story set up by J.J. Abrams, for example. Ray is is a nobody because she's on Jakku, and J.J. himself said the belonging you seek is in front of you, not behind. So she needs to be pushed ahead and forward and not behind right she suddenly has these powers because she needs that impetus she's not suddenly the force awakens in her to move her forward to embrace her destiny forward as the free impetus initiative of the force to come awake in everyone and anyone that upset a whole bunch of fandom but it was a consistent story choice and when it comes to Caleb and Kanan and the TV versus the comic it 
like it doesn't seem to me to be a consistent story choice. One thing, or, or it doesn't seem to have served the story effectively to change itself. One thing I should say is I forgot to mention, you know, the, so for those who needed a reason, just cutting back into that, who needed a reason to, uh, to watch bad batch, who probably won't recognize that that is Caleb necessarily, or it won't matter as much. It might matter for some, but you know, you could tell even richer story in the comic book. Why not go read that comic book? It's great. Um, you know, it, for the most part, I think a lot of folks said, Oh, Hey, this is some random new master Padawan connection or duo. And frankly, I would have been perfectly good with that. I would have been perfectly good if this is just some anonymous or new master and Padawan duo fighting off in the Clone Wars that we hadn't known before, right? There were countless Jedi and therefore countless Padawans fighting all throughout the galaxy. We have Ahsoka, Anakin and Ahsoka. We have, we had in the comic, we had Depa and, and Caleb. We had Jarotapal and Cal Kestis. We have these Padawans. Just another one would have been fine. And it would have served the story of Hunter and the Bad Batch just as effectively. Without even bringing this whole thing up. Right? And uh, you could have even made it made it a girl just to get our minds primed for these these four clone dudes taking in a, a teenage girl and, and that being healthy and safe and making sense, right? Instead, they go ahead and, and make the story change. And I, again, I don't know who is ultimately responsible for it. I do think Dave Filoni and, and the showrunner of Bad Batch, I really should. I'll, I'll look up her name and I'll name her. I trust those two to tell a compelling story, right? I trust, I trust her because, I mean, she gave more weight to the destruction of Hosnian Prime than J.J. ever could, right? She really reframed it from Kazuto's perspective, and that was really wonderful. It, it really does smack of corporate execs. I, I don't know. I don't know. And, and you know, it, we could go on in the story. I could, they could bring Caleb back, or just over time, I could just not worry about it so much. I'm going to watch Star Wars Explain and listen to Star Wars Underworld and so get just get some ideas about how to approach this. But it just it didn't didn't seem to work as a story choice for the reasons I've outlined. So, on that note, then, I do have some sympathy for the quote-unquote fundamentalist view. <laughs> Just You can quote me. I'm telling you on the internet. I have some sympathy for a fundamentalist view of Star Wars canon. Not in the sense of having to have everything line up so perfectly and so well. Right? The gospel accounts don't line up so perfectly. Right? Does Jesus destroy the temple? At the end, in, in Holy Week, when he's confronting the powers, as in the Synoptic Gospels, or does he destroy it at the beginning? Not destroy, you know, 
throw the tables over at the beginning as in the gospel of John, because it's about making room, making space for the glorification of the science and the different stories they're telling. Is it Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb? Right. You know, did creation happen you know, in, in these linear seven days or was it this other or more organic process? You know, I mean, when it comes to creation and, and Sinai and Horeb, that's prehistoric myth. Right? That's a whole other thing. When it comes to Star Wars, yeah, the, it does function as prehistoric myth. This is a fictional universe. You know, it, it, it's even less stake. So there's even less at stake. Um, you know, I mean, even with when Jesus happens to have uh, overthrown the temple authorities and, and the, not overthrown, you know what I mean? The, oh, sorry, you know, uh, going into the, the temple and, and overthrowing the money changers. That's what I'm getting. At. I, I don't care about that. I don't care about when. I care far more about why and about what that means for the revelation of who Jesus is, right? That that's and who God is with us. That's really the important point. We got a God of, of justice, a God of equal access for the poor, and a God who overthrows the the powers that would prevent that equal access to him. That's the point. <laughs> Um, so again, you know, for the most part, I am with that first camp of don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. These things evolve, but this sets a precedent that is more concerning this time around because, especially because it goes from more detail to less detail. It is, I started to use this phrase, it is kind of whitewashing the story a little bit. Um, you know, you know, the, there is a sense, you know, that, oh, there are clones that are, have a positive contribution. It's possible, but it, it's that concern that people had with the prequels of making the galaxy too small. And I, I rarely have that concern. I love fan service. <laughs> I love connections. That is why I'm invested in canon. And, you know, again, I don't need everything to line up, but I do want the stories that I am going out to buy, to read, spending time and energy and care. I want them to have a certain weight, a certain import into the overall story that Lucasfilm is telling. I don't want it to be thrown away this cavalierly. They need to be more careful. And if they do it by saying we need to tell, we need to change something in order to tell a more compelling story for this character, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll roll with it. They do not change something to tell a more compelling story for Caleb's character. They don't need to change it in order to tell a compelling story for Hunter and the Bad Batch's character. And yeah, it it concerns me a little bit. I, I'm not going to stay concerned. I'm going to get over it. It's going to be fine. But it is an important exercise. I think 
one of the biggest good things that's come about this is it's helped me reflect on why I care about canon. How do I think about, how can we think about story choice and quote unquote stakes and uh, not just continuity for its own sake, but continuity for the sake of character and the stories that they're telling going forward. So I know that was a bit of a, a stressful ranting, rambling discussion. I don't know if I'm going to convince anyone of this, right? Cause I'm not taking either extreme on this, but that's, that's where I sit. And, you know, if I have to, you know, I don't, I'm not going to go this far right now, but there might come a day where I'm going to have to pull out some of my comics in the cannon box and put it into the legends box. And that'll be just what is what it is. And that's fine. I'll, I'll live with that. But um, it makes me glad, frankly, that I'm, I'm focusing on High Republic. Because at least for now, that is this protected little pocket of books and comics. That uh, they are free to actually literally sit down at a table. The, these five creators. And I think they're bringing, they're bringing in George Mann. Congrats to him. They're free to tell this story that, you know, taking the, the thousand kilometer view is a prequel to the Skywalker saga, but within themselves can actually be this rich interconnected character story. Even we now know that Elzar Man from from the end of Light of the Jedi is uh, is going to start and kick off Kevin Scott's first novel. And I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name. <laughs> right? That that's going to pick up on his vision and, and what the aftermath of that. So, um, you know, the, here's the thing. I don't have to like everything that happens. I don't have to agree with everything that happens. Um, I'd like to think I've presented a reasonable, thoughtful argument about this one thing. Dave Filoni has never disappointed me, <laughs> ever. Resistance did not disappoint me. I am going to keep watching Bad Batch. I'm going to keep loving Bad Batch. I'm going to be maybe a little less can, uh, invested in canon lining up. Maybe. Uh, probably not knowing my completest personality, but we'll see. Um, you know, I'm not upset. I'm not angsty. I just, it, this choice didn't work for me. And, and I think, and I wanted to take the time to flesh out why. So, you know, if you agree, if you disagree, if you think I'm completely out to lunch, um, either way, please let me know. I, I'm, this is a continuing conversation. And it's a conversation that, you know, I wonder if this was a bit of a Ralph Boner situation, right? Where they wanted to do this almost just to spark this conversation and get us thinking about canon and story and character more deeply. Okay, there are other ways to do that, but that is where we're at, which is a good thing. And I am grateful for that. I had a really interesting back and forth the last week with 
my buddy Din, who I will, I promise, will come on this show and to get my butt in gear about that. But, um, you know, Din, if you're listening, thanks for listening all the way to the end of this. Uh, it, fandom can handle disagreement respectfully, and that is creative. I, again, trust the creativity behind these stories and these shows. This is just my two cents. If you agree, if you disagree, please do, again, please do let me know on Twitter, NEUG485. Give me a follow on Instagram at MNUG1138. If you want to read my, my more explicitly churchy stuff, luminous-beings.com. This has been episode 77 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. Thanks for listening. May the Force be with you, always. Always.